morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. If this is your first time at Living Hope Belfast, we give you a warm welcome. Um, so we're going to start our service with a time of praise and worship. So if everyone would like to stand to their feet, um, let's worship our God this morning. In this time of desperation, we know we know it's out Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit. 
and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again. We believe. Father God, we just thank you that you're here with us this morning, God. We come here to praise you and worship you, God, for you alone are worthy this morning, God. And Lord, would you draw near to us, God. Lord, would we just come into your presence today, Lord, filled with a thankful heart, Lord, because we know that you are faithful. Lord, we know that you just want to bless us this morning, that you want to draw near to us, Lord, and just encourage our hearts, Lord. Lord, we come mostly just to say thank you, to praise you, to worship you in spite of our situations, God. Lord, you are God. Lord, you are the great I am, and you are here with us this morning, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Church, you may take your seats as we come before the Lord's table this morning. Amazing. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 4, and it says this. It says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then it says in verse 8, if you've got it, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. And that's what I wanted to focus on today as we come around the table. By grace you have been saved. It's not of my work. It's not of your work. It's not of my performance or your performance. It's not our track record of the week. It's not what we've done yesterday. It's not what we have done today, but it's by grace by grace we've been saved. If we look at the start of this passage in Ephesians 2 for time, it just tells us really quickly that we were dead in our trespasses, that we once walked following our own desires, our own flesh, our own ways, following the pattern of the world. We were completely in love with ourselves, following our own way. But then it says in first word, the first that we all come to, but God being so rich, in mercy and that isn't anything that we can boast of that has to be that we come and boast in God today and that was just a real simple thought as we come before the table today that it says for grace you've been saved through faith and it isn't your own doing 
It's a gift of God, not a result of your works, not a result of my performance, my past, my even future. It's a result of his grace. It's a gift of God, not a result of my works. So then today, our response and my response is that we don't boast. We don't boast in our own doing, our own self-accomplishments, but we boast in the cross. Paul says that, doesn't he? That if I was to boast, may I only boast in the Lord. So as we come today, we've got so many reasons, haven't we? to say thank you. We've got so many reasons to praise God. So may that be one of them, that we would boast only in the cross today, everything that he's done for us and nothing that we could do for ourselves. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you do this in remembrance of me. And so if you've got the little cup this morning, if you peel back the first layer, I'm going to pray and we're just going to give thanks. We're going to boast in what God has done for us by sending his son, Jesus. So God, just thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that once we were dead, once we were completely sold out for ourselves, following our own passions, just everything for ourselves, Lord, and then you stepped in. Thank you for that verse that says that God being so rich in mercy, God stepped in. Thank you for that. Thank you, God, that you rescued us. God, that we're here this morning. God saved. We could be so many other places. But thank you, God, that you took us from this state that we were in and you brought us to be alive with you. So God, help us to remember you. Help us to not boast in our own doing, but to remember you today. And the first is going to say, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so if you have the second layer, we're just going to give thanks um, for the blood this morning. So thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your amazing love that it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, even in our helplessness, even in our mess, even in our failures, even as we even think about this past week, God, how many times we've let you down. Thank you, God, for your great love, God, which you've shown in us, that while we were still sinners, that Christ would die for us. So thank you, God. Help us to never lose sight of that. Help us to always remember you today. Amen. Amen. And our natural response, isn't it, isn't it to worship? So if everyone wants to stand, we're going to come before God as we sing another song in praise. There was a moment when the lights went out When death had claimed its victory The darkest day in history There on the cross they made for sinners 
Maggie Church, you may take your seats. Good morning, church. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you to the team, Rebecca leading us at the table. Uh, just a couple of announcements before we get into the word uh, this morning. Uh, tonight is a very special service. It is the kids' prize giving tonight. Uh, and so we're looking forward to seeing all the kids here. Uh, those who come to Kids Space on a Sunday, Kids Church on a Thursday night, uh, they're all going to be getting a prize this evening. Uh, we've got a service uh, for them. We're hoping a lot of their parents will be attending this evening as well. Uh, it's a great opportunity for outreach uh, tonight, but not an excuse not to come because we want to show our support to the kids and uh, the kids team and also the opportunity of witnessing as well uh, to the parents that are coming. There is a supper after uh, this evening as well. Uh, tomorrow is uh, the Refresh Lunch Club at one o'clock. Uh, there is something special happening there, so if you usually come along, please make sure you come along tomorrow at one o'clock. Um, I'm going to invite Jackie Roberts to come up. Jackie's going to come and share uh, just about the academy that is due to start in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Jackie. Wasn't that an amazing time of worship this morning? We started back uh, on the 9th of uh, June, two weeks, uh, week, week this Thursday. We're going to be in the church here. Uh, it's, uh, I think if you've never been to the academy, we have like to invite you to come along. It's a Bible study. A Bible study with a difference. It's like in a classroom situation. We provide booklets, um, as well as booklets, we provide question, questionnaire papers. The subject we're doing this, this, um, this season is advancing the life of Jesus. We're going to look at the commandments of Jesus the first week. What you, how, the, how all the, the law and the, the, all, all the law and the, the prophets are rolled up in two commands that Jesus gave. The second week is about the temptations of Jesus and how Jesus was tempted and why and how he overcome it. The third week is Jesus and the Pharisees. And this is all about hypocrisy in the church or in the, in the Jewish church. And how Jesus dealt with that. And the final week is going to be Jesus and prophecy. One thing I would like to say, see this Bible. If you think that this Bible is just an ordinary book, you're absolutely you've no idea because it's an amazing book. The fourth week speaks of prophecy and about the Old Testament prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we invite you to come along. If you've never been before, please. And we like you to sign up, but we need to know exactly how many people are coming so we can provide it with the right number of booklets. Um, it's, it's Friday, it's going to be Friday, sorry, Thursday the 9th of June from 7 o'clock to 8. We will be in the main hall here. Um, we'll go on for the four weeks. And September we do have a graduation service where, where we present uh, certificates, uh, advanced certificates and diplomas for those who have done the various courses. So please sign up. If, you, if you're wondering about it, what's it like, don't know whether to come or not, come along. Come along and see. Some people have done that. They, they have a clue what it's about. They'll come along and some of them have done every single course over the past five years. Instead. So please come along and pray. Please, church, pray about this work. It's, it's teaching the Bible, teaching the Word of God. If you want to know more about the Word of God, we'll, make, we'll keep it simple. We'll keep it straightforward. 
we'll try and explain it to the best of ourselves. We don't want anybody going out of fear, feeling baffled or confused. That's what the academy is all about, teaching the word of God for those who would like to learn more. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank you, Jackie. Just one more announcement before we get into uh, the word. Uh, over the past 12 months, uh, we've been working to present to you another person uh, to join the oversight in this church as an elder. Uh, we as the oversight, the existing oversight, are now in a position to do that. Uh, so next Sunday morning, we're going to be making an announcement, uh, presenting to you the name uh, that we are proposing uh, for some, the person who's going to become an elder and join the existing oversight. This is not uh, a shock really because we had planned as part of this vision uh, to bring our oversight up to six people. We have five, uh, so we have been looking for another member uh, to join the oversight as an elder. So we're going to present that name to you uh, that next Sunday. This is all the process that we do so people don't come next Sunday and get shocked because they don't know they weren't here or that. So we're telling you we're making an announcement next Sunday uh, just to keep ourselves right and stuff. But we're looking forward to that. Our church is in a great season of blessing at the moment uh, with so many things going on. We're seeing God answer our prayer we're seeing people saved we're seeing lives changed and stuff and, and so to, probably if you want a better understanding of, of elders the characteristics of elders we preached through 1 Timothy and 1 Timothy 3 uh, we preached on a whole morning uh, of eldership and oversight in the church the qualities the characteristics uh, all our sermons are still on YouTube uh, we know some of you are listening to them because it helps you sleep at night uh, so <laughs> these are all there on YouTube so please go back listen to it and it will help give you a little bit more understanding of how uh, we choose elders so that will be next Sunday let's just pray father we come before you we thank you, Lord, we are gathered in your house for there is no better place to be. Father, as we dig into your word today, Father, we thank you, the promise of your word as we read it, that you clothe us with gladness. You turn our mourning into dancing. You turn our weeping into joy. And Father, as we take a look at that this morning, Father, we ask your spirit to move upon the lives of all of us, Father God, for it is a living word we read it changes us it challenges us and so we thank you for that today in jesus name amen we are continuing on with our what are you wearing series and so we have come to uh, the verse it talks about being clothed with joy now i have to clear something up here because i'm i'm deeply offended that anybody would suggest that after liverpool got beat last night that <laughs> that I would preach on weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning people are questioning my integrity and honesty so listen this this was this was this was planned well before whatever events happened last night okay so hopefully we'll get something because we're going to be talking about being clothed with joy to lay the foundation uh, of this uh, three quick things which will help us the first one is this 
Biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction, knowing ultimately God is in control. Uh, that really is what biblical joy is. Uh, the second thing is this, joy is an inner feeling, happiness is an outward expression. Joy endures hardship and trials and connects with meaning and purpose. A person pursues happiness but chooses joy. Each of us will have different things in our lives that make us happy. Uh, the scientific uh, term is that some chemicals are released when we do those things that make us happy. For you, shopping may make you happy. For some people that does, and so that something is released to make you happy. For other people, doing Lego makes you happy. So. <laughs> whatever, your, whatever your thing is that makes you happy, this is not joy. It says there are lots of things that make us happy. The danger in the Christian life is we believe God is more concerned with our happiness than he is with our joy. But he does more with our joy than our happiness. For some people, you have to clear it up with them that actually God's sole motive is not to make us happy. We pursue happiness, but we choose joy. And that's what we're going to look at today because choosing joy helps us with every circumstance and every situation that we face in life. That, that God has a plan, that there is a contentment, and a trust in God that he knows what's going on, that he is in control. And so that's how we choose joy. And so happiness is different from that. The third thing is joy is essential to the Christian life. The scriptures are clear. God's people are both commanded to rejoice and characterized by rejoicing. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit it is one of the characteristics of us belonging to Christ that we should be joyful. That not in a full sense of way that we paint on a smile, but we should be joyful. Our lives should be characterized by rejoicing, not just by how loud we sing and how high we stretch our arms up in the air when we come into church on Sunday, but actually characterized by rejoicing every day of the week, facing all the circumstances and situations that we face and the psalm that we're going to look at is psalm 30 because this is where it speaks about us being clothed with gladness or clothed with joy and king david wrote psalm 30 to be sung at the dedication of the temple but god didn't allow david to build the temple because david had blood on his hands it was going to be left to his son solomon to build so david had built his own house he built his own house and when he gets to this point where he's finished this, um, he suddenly comes and he writes this psalm that we're going to read in a second because it's a declaration of praise. It's a declaration in, of, of his life. That he, he stands there at the building of his house and he looks back over his life and he sees where God has been faithful to him. He sees what God has done for him and it causes him to rejoice. It causes him to show joy. And we're going to work through the journey of this psalm to see how it applies to us. Because David stands there and he says these words beginning at verse 1 of Psalm 30. It says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. 
O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favour is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I should never be moved. Lord, by your favour, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Joy in a believer's life is possible. It's essential, uh, but it's not optional. It's something that we must have. David teaches us some lessons here about being clothed with joy and gladness. Uh, because what he understands is this, when God is doing a work, it's more important what is going on within us than what is going on around us. There will always be difficulties and there will always be troubles and there will always be challenges. And the song that David writes here, the psalm that he writes, it concludes with the exchange of mourning into dancing, sackcloth and ashes uh, for clothing of gladness. So we want to see how David gets to that point and how that helps us this morning. See, he opens his psalm with the reason for the song. He uses a word, he says it, to extol God. It's not a word that we use really in everyday vocabulary. If I came up to you and said, I extol you, you would wonder what I was talking about, most of you. Some of you would know, but it's not a word that we would use every day. But it's a word that simply means to lift up, to raise, to exalt. And this is what David does from the outset. But then he gives us the reason then for doing that as David looks back upon his life and he reflects upon his life and he remembers what God has done for him. And in the opening verses he gives four reasons as to why he's doing this. The first one is this, he simply said in his life God had lifted him. And the word lifted simply means to draw up out of the water. If you'd come to a well and you wanted water, you would drop the bucket down and you would lift the water out. And that's simply what David had said that God had done in his life here. That where he had been in danger, where he had been in trouble, where he had been in dead ends, God had lifted him. He lifted him. It's not that David lifted God and exalted God. It was that God had lifted David. And he recalls his life and he looks back. The second thing he see, we see is this, God had protected him. He says this, his enemies had not rejoiced over him. God had protected him. The third thing we see in verse 2 is that God had healed him from both illness and injury. And the third thing we see in verse 3 is God had preserved him the reason I say that is because we're laying the foundation for why David is rejoicing why does he have joy in his life we're expecting it to be sort of a natural thing that we just have actually David teaches that it isn't 
David is actually looking and saying, because God has done all this for me, it causes me to have joy. Actually, it causes me, even though times have been sad and even though times have been involved with weeping and trouble and other things, actually God has exchanged them because when he looks back over his life, he says, God has done these things. He's lifted me, he's protected me, he's healed me and he's preserved me. See, this is the grounds for David's praise. And he remembers the great works of God. But it not only caused David to praise, it tells us in verse 4 that he encourages others to sing praise to him. David stands at the dedication of his house. He declares this. And to the people, he says, come and praise with me. Come and praise. This is your God as well. It's almost like this is praise. It's like, you know, sometimes when we come to praise and worship, I think we've got it wrong. We expect these wonderful people appeared to do it all for us. But actually, as I read this this week, I understood they're actually doing what David commands here. They're saying, we're praising and worshipping. Come and join us. You had a rough week? Listen, come and join us. Come and praise. You know, times have been hard at the moment. He said, listen, come and join us. It's not just about me singing the praise and rejoicing over what God has done. Let's all do it because it it creates a joy in our life. It characterizes the joy that it's there because praise is so important. And there are five quick things I want to share here this morning. The first one is this. Praise is a joyful recounting of all God has done for us. It's the thanksgiving we offer back to God as appreciation for all that he has done for us. David uses the example. He's healed me. He's lifted me. He's preserved me. And he's protected me. Since we may be sitting this morning wondering, but what do I have to praise God for? Well, listen, everything. Since you're sitting here today, your choice to come to church today, The things that are going on in your life that God is looking after you, preserving you, protecting you. You know, often when we look at things, situations, they could have been worse. God has stepped in. He's preserved me. He's looked after me. That's simply all this is. It's a joyful recounting of the things that God has done in our life. Has everything worked out the way we wanted it to? No, says that's true for none of us. We would all look at it and say, well, this never happened and that. But that's where we trust God to say God is in control. And we appreciate what God has done. And so we praise him for all he has done for us. You see, it's important that we understand this because praise is thanksgiving, but worship is surrender. See, we come sometimes and we say, we have a time of praise and worship. And often people were relegated to this and say, well, those are the songs for the praise and those are the songs for the worship. There's nothing to do, in a sense, with that. It has everything to do with this, that we praise because of what God has done. But worship is surrender. Because when we worship, it means we're putting God first. Because you can't worship if God's not first. You just simply can't. If there's something else in the way, you'll not be able to worship. It's why the first two commandments are to do with putting God first and worshipping no other God. And that because worship is absolute surrender. And when you worship, then you can come and praise. And so we come then to the third thing. We see, and it follows on for this, that praise is for all he has done. But worship is for all that he is. And so David comes here and he gives him that praise for all God has done, but for worship for all that he is. He says, and maybe sometimes as we come and we worship and we praise and stuff, we, 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 must, we must split between the two. 
Because whenever we come to be joyful or whenever we choose joy, it often has a lot to do with worship of surrendering our situation and our circumstances to God. Because surrender often has to do with us not always understanding everything that's going on, but trusting God anyway. And that's what worship is. We surrender to God because we do not have a complete understanding of everything that's happening. But you know what? We trust God anyway. We put him first anyway. And then we praise him. You see, praise removes our self-focus because self-satisfaction has nothing to praise God for. If it's all about me, it's all about what I can do. If it's all about who I am. It's all about what's happened to me. He says he just simply becomes self-focused. Well, if I'm so focused on self, I have nothing to worship God for. If everything I have is down to me, he says, what am I praising God for? If everything I've been given is because of everything that I have done, well, my satisfaction is in myself and not his. And we come on to this a little bit later in the psalm when we see the mistake that David makes in this area. And finally, summing this up is this, is praise is the key to joy. It's simply, it's the key to joy, to thank God for what he has done. And after calling the people to praise God, David gives them more reasons. He simply says this, is anger is momentary, while his favour is lasting. And it simply means for a life, for a lifetime. You see, there is a difference between prosperity and favour. We look at it and say, if somebody is prospering and doing well, and that we said they're prospering. But there's a difference between prospering and favor. Because we look at prospering as a target sometimes. Oh, they've got a lot, or they've achieved a lot, or, or they have acquired a lot. And we say, that's prosper. But God is more interested in actually giving us his favor. Because finding favor means gaining approval or acceptance or special benefits or blessings and, and finding the favour of God is a blessing in itself so David looks here and says the most important thing about my life is this it's not all the palaces I've acquired it's not all the livestock I've got it's not all the treasure and the jewellery I've got it's a favour of God because without the favour of God he says I have nothing without the favour of God all I've got is all the stuff I've acquired in my lifetime or the big palace, the house that I stand in. He says, that's what I've got. And actually, that's prosperity. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's more the favor of God. Because, you know, sometimes we look at people and we say, you know, the, the poorest people materially are sometimes the richest people spiritually. He says, earthly prosperity is not a sign of God's favor. Nor is poverty a sign of his disfavor. Some of the richest people in the world are those that have nothing or next to nothing, but give that away. And he says, and we would all know people like that. And we get confused sometimes because we think it's about finding the prosperity of God. It's not. It's about finding the favor of God, a special blessing that he has. And noting that David writes this because it's important when we think of what David has done and we know what he's done in his life. We know the sins he's committed and he says his anger is but for a moment. Oh, we beat ourselves up sometimes when we make a mistake, when we do something wrong. 
He says we've beat ourselves up and yet the promise of God to David is anger is momentary. That doesn't mean there were no, for David that there was no, um, that there was no fruit of his sin. There was. But God still looked at him and said, you're the man after my own heart. You're, you're the one I've called to do this. His anger is momentary. But even for David there were consequences for the things that he did wrong. But he still found the favour of God in his life he still found the favor of God you see when it says weeping may endure for a night it's interesting that that word endure it simply means to lodge as a guest it's not a permanent thing it's not something that's there forever David uses that the word there that endure that it lodges as a guest just like when you know you go away somewhere from home and you stay somewhere for a night that's it it's a temporary thing it's a temporary place and David uses that word there when he says weeping may endure for a night it may lodge as a guest for one night but joy comes in the morning I mean that's an incredible promise isn't it the day and night are contrasted as a weeping and joy and for those in that night are weeping this morning I want you to hold on to this next truth because this next truth is so important as we look at being clothed with joy that weeping may endure for a night but no night goes on forever there has never been a night ever that hasn't turned into day there's never been a night that hasn't come and gone and day has come and the same is true here in this passage as God says to us as God says to you as, as he, the difficult circumstances situations that people are facing that weeping may endure for a night in, in God's world it, it's there temporary as a guest but joy comes in the morning it simply means no night goes on forever the light comes through and we suddenly realize it's daytime again and that example is used there in the contrast you see David's security and status were the work of God and as I've said the main reason for what God had done in David's life was not to give him palaces as he looks back upon his life it's not for him to, to say well look how big the house is that I live in this is what my life is about look, look how much material stuff I've got and I come to do a funeral I always say this at the end of every funeral because nobody ever asked me to say this talk about how much money they had in the bank talk about how many TVs they got in the house talk about how many cars they drive talk about how many holidays they want and nobody ever asked me to say that why because at that point in life it's not important what's important is this it's the favor of God upon David's life that says here the palaces they'll be up one minute and they'll be down the next a livestock well they're here today they'll be dead tomorrow somebody's dinner plate the night day after and he says all of this as he contrasts it to say this is a false sense of security and yet often it's a security we look for isn't it that security of holding on to that and David in these words writes he says that's not the security we have see David had discovered trouble in his life you see he knew that he would be in trouble if God wasn't sustaining him when he was relying on his own strength but he confesses that this strength is from the favor of God and not the prosperity he's been given it's like he was saying this to all the people 
he, he says, look, take a look on days like this. We see everything in its splendor. The, the wonderful palace that's mine in all its glory. All of this seems good and all of this seems secure. But let's not forget, not every day was like this. Not every day was where we stood and we looked at everything in its glory and splendor. There were days when I was pursued by my enemies. There were days when I was close to death. There were days when I was in great danger. Then there was days when I thought God had forgotten about me. But praise God, even in those days, no matter how I felt, God was as faithful today, yesterday, and then as well. That's what he turns around and says to the people. It doesn't have anything to do with this. What we think is security, what we think is stability, it's nothing to do with this. David moves on in the psalm and he repeats a prayer that he prays. He repeats a prayer that he prays already prayed in verse 2. He preaches it again, prays again, sorry, in verse 8 when he says, I cried out to you, Lord. What was the prayer? Listen, this is an amazing prayer. This is the most intricate prayer you could ever pray. I mean, this is, I mean, it's just unbelievable. If there is a, a brilliant prayer, this is a prayer to pray. I don't know if we'll all get it. We just simply pray this. He says, hear me, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Help me, Lord. That's it. What a great prayer. He sums up his life and he says, when we come up and often at times people may pray for a long time or a longer time than he wanted them to. Or when other people pray and they use big theological words, says David comes here and just says, praise this. Lord, hear me. Lord, have mercy. Lord, help me. What else is there? Well, I don't know. Says in, in, his, in his life, in all that's gone on, he just simply says, this is my prayer. Lord, you would hear me. God is attentive to the things that we say, to the things that are happening to us. Lord, have mercy on us. Well, we've witnessed that by remembering what Christ has done at the cross for us and we remembered that at the table. And then the greatest of prayer in any of our lives, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. So sometimes that's the only three words we can pray. When we're feeling as though we've hit rock bottom, when we're feeling the, that what it was written in verse 5 when it says weeping may come for night and we can only pray that prayer in our weeping through our tears to simply say Lord help me help me Lord in the middle of everything that's going on those are the prayers that God loves to hear and you know what the wonderful thing is there is a foundation for his joy here built upon not what he feels but what he knows because the danger sometimes is we pray, praise and worship based on what we feel and not what we know. And our feelings for most of us, if not all of us, they can be all over the place sometimes. They can be all, I mean, if you're not an early morning person and you get up, uh, you know, and you're told to get up early in the morning and you have to do things that are just not natural for early mornings and stuff, it's to do with your feelings. It's how I feel at that point. I feel tired. I feel everybody's getting on my nerves. I feel like they're just, why am I upset? It's the feeling. And often at times we base our walk with God upon our feelings. And I want to encourage you this morning. And I really do want to do this. Don't base your walk with God on how you feel. Base your walk with God on what you know. 
because what you know is truth and you see David teaches us that lesson here when he says this is what God will do he says it's not about our feelings it's not about how we feel joy is not a feeling happiness is a feeling nobody feels happy getting up at six o'clock in the morning for anything if you know somebody slap them slap them hard <laughs> nobody that's happiness Joy is getting up at six o'clock in the morning just as the light is coming through, getting down to where you have your quiet time and say, God, I've got up early. I've got a cup of coffee and I've got my word open, your word open. Will you speak to me? And God speaks to you. That's joy. That's not happiness. Because it's a bit unnatural, to be honest with you. So and what we've got to do is choose the things that make us joyful, not happy. Because happy is a feeling. Happy is not something that God is really remotely interested in most of the time. He's interested in our joy, in our difficulties and our challenges that we would get up early in the morning before the rest of the house gets up. We would sit there and say, God, I have wept all night. But Lord, the promise of your word is that joy comes in the morning. And not that God would touch you with a blast of joy, but he would give you something to say, my son, my daughter, I am in control. My son, my daughter, I've got you. My son, my daughter, you can trust me. Oh, that's what we need more than anything, isn't it? Because I guarantee when you get up and walk away from that, from having your word open and praying that prayer, hear me, help me, have mercy, Lord. I says that will change the way that you feel anyway. He says, because you put joy first. This is the foundation. You see, that God had heard him and showed mercy to him and helped him. It had turned David's mourning into dancing. It had changed what he was wearing from sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth is that. The burlap, you know, the very rough thing. And I'm reminded of something when I was a young fella at about 10 years old. And my mom bought me tweed trousers. Now, some of you, if you know what they are, they're like these really itchy, hairy trousers on the inside as well. And apparently, at some point, they were fashionable. I don't know where and I don't know when. <laughs> to me, they seemed like some uniform of torture. Because any time there was a special event on a family wedding or a party and stuff, my mum would make me wear these trousers. And I still have this picture in my mind of just scratching my legs the whole time it got that bad I used to try and sneak a pair of pajama bottoms on underneath <laughs> the tweed trousers and that's that's my picture of the sackcloth and stuff needed counseling for that and I told my mum that <laughs> and I know she watches this on a Sunday so <laughs> that's sackcloth you see when people wore sackcloth it was a visual sign of mourning Everybody knew they were mourning. They had the ashes on. They had the sackcloth and people were there mourning. They're grieving. They're sad. David uses this example because God always changes people and he changes circumstances and he changes situations. And it's simply this, that that sackcloth and ashes was worn for the night. But if God brings joy in the morning, there has to be a different outfit worn and he says this he says he changes the sackcloth and ashes for a garment of joy a garment of gladness that's what God does he doesn't always change the circumstance for him 
It doesn't always change the situation that we're facing. It doesn't always change things so it looks like, well, well we need this to happen, God. He changes the way we view it. He changes the perception of it. He changes us from into that joy that says, oh, I'm in control here. He says, I've got you here. Change that sackcloth that's making you miserable and sad. And no, put on this garment of joy. Because this, putting this on, is what makes a difference. It doesn't solve everything, but your life is characterized by the joy that you have in your life. And instead of the visual sign of mourning, sadness and grief, it simply has this. It's a visual sign of wearing something that says God's in control. He's got me. It says my life is exhibited, demonstrated by the joy. But you see, the most important thing here is not how he feels, but what he knows. You see, when it comes on to this final verse, it simply says his whole glory may sing. As David is coming and he said, what do you mean the whole glory may sing? Well, the Old Testament, when it speaks about the soul, it speaks about the whole body, it speaks about everything. And David is coming here because he's saying, you turn my mourning into dancing. Maybe we all need to start doing the Pentecostal two-step and loads, you know, we're doing this start dancing and, and stuff. And he says, but it's this. See, our singing comes from our mouth. And I've said this because this is the most encouraging thing you can say to somebody who can't sing. That not everybody can sing, but everybody has a song. And you see here that not everybody can sing. Joy causes us all to have a song. In the midst of the difficulties and the challenges. You see, the whole person matters for praising God. Your mind matters, your heart matters, your singing matters, your dancing matters. It's almost like David is saying, your whole self matters. Actually, it's everything you worship with. It's not just worshiping God with your lips. It's your whole body. It's everything. You see, you sing with your mouth, but you dance with your body. Every part of it moves. Now, if you think for one second, I'm dancing here on the platform of church. I'm not. But you'll know what I mean when it comes to dancing. Ladies, before you were Christians, it says, when Gloria Gaynor came on, I will survive. You knew how to dance, stilettos and all. You knew. So, because we know that, don't we? We know how to dance because there's something about a song being played that causes us to, to move. It causes us to something to happen to us because it's not just about us singing with our mouth, it's something that moves us. And so, we make just a little bit of side to side, whatever it is. That sort of thing. That's all you're getting, all right? <laughs> My kids are mortified. So. <laughs> Gonna cost me a tenner each after this. <laughs> but the point is this. says we may sing with our mouth, but we dance with our body. And David's coming to the end. And he says, when we're clothed with joy and clothed with gladness, it causes our whole life to worship. It causes our whole life to praise. You see, the garment of joy was a visual sign that God is in control. He is faithful. He has never let me down and he's never let me go. So I may wear that sackcloth for a time. It may lodge as a guest in my life, but joy comes in the morning. And I put that joy on because I choose to do it, not because of the way I feel. I choose to do it 
There were times when the sackcloth had to be worn. But David almost says, when I record what I knew about God, it turned my sadness to gladness and my mourning to joy. Not because my feelings changed, but my knowledge of what I knew to be true about God was there. And when I knew that, that's what caused me to wear that garment of gladness. How do we finish with this? The joy of the Lord will have the final say, the last word, and the closing thought. That's what wearing the garment of joy does. That's what being glad in the Lord does. Not the sackcloth and the ashes, but this, the joy of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we come to you. Father, we thank you. Father, we're not saying, Father, that we live an easy life as believers because we don't. Father, there are many difficult circumstances and situations that many people in this church are facing today at this moment. And God, they can feel like they are weeping. They can feel like what they are wearing is that sackcloth and those ashes. But Father, when we put our trust in you, it just simply says that they lodge as a guest. No night lasts forever. Joy comes in the morning. It's not any joy. It's the joy that you give us. It's the joy that we have as believers. It's a joy that simply says this. I know there's some challenging stuff going on, God, but you are in control. God, I know the promise of your word is that you look after me and you take care of me because you love me, but I don't feel that. But it doesn't matter what I feel. I know that. And I put my trust into you today. The God that you have been faithful yesterday and you are faithful today and I'm trusting you to be faithful tomorrow. And Father, of all the difficulties and the challenges that people face, the promise of your word is that sackcloth and ashes is removed. But Father, you give us a garment of joy that says we trust you. We trust you. Because you are faithful. You are faithful. Amen. Church, we're just going to come to some time of worship now as we close. And God's just really put it on my heart to say that today in church, can we remember to be joyful? Even when we're downcast and our hearts are sore, our eyes are heavy, heads just want to hit the pillow and cry the Lord still uses us for his glory and his goodness so today let's remember to be joyful and can we just sing today I love you Lord for your mercy never failed me in all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God In all my life you have been faithful 
of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire and in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. church today we thank you that we can come together in fellowship and in worship that we can hear your word that we can hear of how the people lived then how you were faithful with them how you were faithful now and how you will forever be faithful lord that we will forever glorify you god that we will forever praise you in thanksgiving that we will forever surrender in worship that we will leave ourselves behind god and that we will glorify you god protect us as we go through our weeks and bring us safely together next Sunday in Jesus name.